Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Good morning, Rest Church. How are you? Uh, My name is Johan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, There's a rotation. And I just want to say thank you and welcome to all our first-time guests, returning guests. It's nice to have you. There's a lot of unfamiliar faces, and I tried to hit all of you today. If I didn't, I apologize. Like, I meant to. Hi. And I saw you. My name's Johan. It's nice to have you. Um, So I'm sitting here thinking, like, I've got my whole message planned out, right? And I even have, like, little notes in there if I want to pause, like, for effect and stuff like that. But in this section right here, I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. And it's scary. Um, For those of you who know me, I see your faces smiling. Uh, I never know what's going to come out. And sometimes it comes out before I can really process it. But um, I'm going to try to avoid that today. So again, my name's Johan. It's uh, really good to have you here today. So before we get into the message, um, I just want to tell you that I am really excited about these last four verses in chapter five. It is, it is the truth that is behind these that have really changed my life. And I hope that... Jesus, like through me this morning, will speak those truths to you. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it is my hope that you leave here today with something that you didn't bring. Does that make sense? Like, I hope that there's some revelation to the truth that we're going to be talking about today that is new to you, that will help you uh, as you go about your day. So, um, so the text today... And here it comes out of my mouth. The podium in Metropolis is not as tall as this one. (laughs) Like, like, why am I thinking about that? I don't know. I like this one better. The other one, I I don't know. It makes me feel tall. Uh, Sorry. So, this truth that we're talking about today, like, you can read through it. Like, I've done it as, you know, if I'm ever reading the Bible, and I I read these verses, and, and like, surface-level stuff, it's like, man, right on. But there is so much more that is in these verses that you you really need somebody to help you to really plug information into these verses. And and when you're able to do that, or when you have somebody that does that for you, like, it can literally change your life. Uh, I remember, like, the first time that it happened to me, like, I was 
green as green can get. And I show up to like this, this two-day Bible study. It's a crash course of Romans 1 through 8. And I roll up in there, man, like I'm ready to go, like super Christian. I bought my brand new Bible in the box. And I took that dude out. But, you know, I've been a, I've been a believer a long time. I was raised in a Christian home. But I could tell you, if there was one book on the earth that was most boring, it was the Bible. I mean, if we're being honest, like if you try to read that as a kid, like I pray for you and I feel for you because it's not fun by yourself. But the Holy Spirit, sometimes using teachers, like what they will do is they will help you to see the truth behind it. And I can tell you, like I was holding this Bible that I was not um, like unfamiliar with. But I could literally, like as this guy was teaching me and the Holy Spirit was revealing truth to me, like I could feel it changing. Not just something in my heart, but in my hand, I could feel it. And the words started to come to life. And that is my hope this morning as we look at these last four verses. So, so what you have is, you, it, there, there's two types of head knowledge about the scriptures. And, and it's actually, uh, the word is called word there. Now, in the English language, you have these two different types of word that are interpreted as the same thing. But this word, like this information, this logos that we have, is literally just that. It's information. And information by itself cannot do anything for you. But the Holy Spirit will take that logos, that logos that you have, that information, and he will begin to show you what he is meaning. And he takes that, that logos, the logos, and he makes it rhema, which is revealed truth. And so, like as we're looking at this today, it is my prayer that God through the Holy Spirit will make information, revelation to all of you today. So, that's the way I was taught. And that is how I hope we're able to dissect these this morning. So, you know, as I was, I was always putting this together, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I don't really start at the beginning and go to the end like, I'm like super scattered all over the place. But I'll have, I'll work on the bodies. Oh man, this is great for the intro. Oh, this is great for the clothes. But so as I'm going through all of this, I just spit. It's gonna be a great day. But as I'm going through all of this, like something like punched me in the face. They didn't tap me on the shoulder or punch me in the face. And I was like, man, this is like terrible for the introduction. But like if we're being real, like dude, we're not here to play. Fair? We're not here to play. Like, we've got to be real. And so I wrote this, and this is just me being real, me being as real with you as I am with myself, okay? So if I ever say you, if I'm ever talking about you, just know that I am included in that, okay? Because I can tell you, my wife can tell you, my kids can tell you that I'm not perfect. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I lied about lying. That's terrible, but okay, so this is me being real with you for a second. I'm sorry, my glasses and this ear thing are not jiving. There we go, got it. Okay, here we go. How can any of us, again, I'm speaking to myself as well, how can any of us expect blessings from God, expect a deeper understanding of his word, expect spiritual growth, and live in sin. I mean, I mean, how can we do that? How can I do that? 
And so immediately, like, I go to biblical examples, and I think about David, a man after God's own heart, right? So this is a man that walked in Sabbath rest, for anybody that knows what that is from the book of Hebrews. Like, this dude walked, like, on this other level with God that so many others did not. He was the kind of guy that... Um, had such a close relationship with God that absolutely believed in his promises. So when you've got a three foot two, I'm exaggerating a little bit, standing up next to a 10 foot giant, he can say this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And he walks out there with nothing to defeat this dude. This is David. Not only that, this David will reign with Christ at his right hand, David. But David fell for sin's trap. That, that trap is set for all of us. It may be different types of bait, but that trap is set. But he fell for that trap, and it broke the fellowship with God. It brought him to a place to where he was unable to see truth. It brought him to a place where he was unable to see sin for what it is. It brought him to a place to where he began to sin more. And finally, you have this man of God that comes and he calls him out and speaks of this man that's in this sin. And David's like, that guy needs to be dealt with. And had no idea the man was talking about David. He had no idea that guy was talking to him about himself. But there's hope. There's hope for us. Turn from it. Turn from your sin. So again, I ask, how can any of us expect blessings from God? How can any of us expect a deeper understanding of his word or expect spiritual growth and still live in sin? And I'm sorry, but dude, that's not meant to bum you out, okay? Do people today understand what that means? Is that still relevant, Eric? I can't ask Eric. Thank you. Huh? dig. Right, Grace? If you know, you know. That's right. (laughs) Okay, so this is not meant to bump you out. It is not meant to discourage you. It, It is not meant to point out fault, like right as we're getting into this thing. Like the last thing I want to do is shut any kind of doors. But it is, it is meant with the hope of getting your attention. It is meant with the hope of sparking something inside of you. It is meant with the hope of making your path straight as you, as I, pursue the God of the Bible. It is meant to make our path straight as we pursue the God of this church. So, dude, it's never too late. It's never too late. I'm going, to need the, I'm going to leave the cap off of that, save some time. So, so what I want to do this morning uh, before we get into it is I want to recap just a little bit because we've been in Romans for a minute. But in the past messages, we've talked about sin and death in Adam. We've talked about sin and life in Jesus. And then we've talked about the two Adams. And if, if everything that I'm saying this morning like doesn't make sense, do like hit me up afterwards and let's talk, but let's get through this. So the two Adams... Like, what you've got to understand is this. What does the name Adam mean? Does anybody know? And it means man, 
okay? So you have the two Adams. You have the two men. The first Adam, the, the actual Adam, like Adam and Eve, he was a type of Christ. Like he wasn't like, oh, he's kind of like Jesus uh, at all. But what he was is he was like a foreshadowing um, of Christ. He was like a prediction of Christ. He was not a type of Jesus, though. So the Christ or the Messiah type of Christ, like the Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. It means the anointed one. <laughs> Christ was not Jesus' last name, like I thought forever, you know, because my name is Johann Leclerc. I thought Jesus' name was Jesus Christ. And so when I hear a type of Christ, I'm like, what? But it just, it literally means Jesus, the anointed one. So you have Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ, or you have Jesus the Messiah. So, hence you have Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the two Adams. So, again, Adam, and there are others as well that were type of Christ. He was a foreshadowing or prediction of some of the character, the characteristics of the Christ that would come. So, so how was Adam a type of Christ? Well, it, it's some of the same characteristics that they, that they shared, and it was two specifically. One, he had no earthly father, okay? Jesus had no earthly father. And then additionally, Adam, when he was created, he was created righteous, no other being other than Jesus was created righteous, okay? So he was righteous from the start. So we have, these, we have these two men. We have Adam and Jesus, and they both bring something to the table for all of mankind. The one man, Adam, he brings eternal death. Not a product of choice, but of inheritance, does that make sense? So, so you have this guy, Adam, that brings with him eternal death. So what I mean was this was a product, not a product of choice, but of inheritance. It's like you didn't have a choice. Like when you showed up on this earth, you had eternal death within you. You inherited it. And then you have this other man, Jesus, that brings eternal life, and it's flip-flopped. So this eternal life is not a product of inheritance. You are not owed that. He brings eternal life, which is a product of choice. So, with that being said, what I want to do today is I'm going to read uh, verses 12 through 17 with 18 to 21. Today is 18 to 21, so let's go ahead and read this. Uh, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And then today's text. Verse 18. Therefore, because of what I just said, people, as one trespass or a trespass of one, Adam, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness or the act of one, Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the main point in the title of today's message is this. From Greece, from Greece, from grief to grace, make it rain. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand uh, here this morning. Lord, and hopefully communicate the truths that you've written to us. God, would you through me speak about these this morning and may it change someone's life. May it help someone the way that it's helped me. May it set a fire in all of us this morning to pursue the, the author of the book, to pursue you. God, please get me out of the way. Please show up this morning. Do eternal work. Oh, we give you this time. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a soft spot in this little stage right here, and I'm trying to move this thing. So, sorry. I'm not sorry. So, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down these verses, all four. I'll read the verse, we'll talk about the verse, we'll read it again, and then as we go, it's like we'll begin to put them all together. And it is my hope that what we're learning about these verses will help them make sense to you. So as we, as we rebuild them, you'll begin to see like what God through these scriptures is trying to communicate to us. So verse 18, therefore, as one trespass, the trespass of Adam, led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness, or the act of the righteousness of one, Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. So, so this verse right here, like it provides the outline for the following three, for the remaining three of this chapter. And we've talked about it plenty before, but... As a matter of fact, like the last time that I spoke with you, I actually like hit on this. So God creates Adam, right? And what he does is he gives him free reign over all of his creation, like Adam is in charge. He can do what he wants, but there's one thing that he can't, just one. And that was to not eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
like the one thing. Everything else, he's good to do. So then you have Satan in the form of the serpent in the tree. And he deceives Eve, and she eats. And after Eve is deceived, Adam chooses as well to eat of the fruit. And through that choice, all mankind is condemned. Through that one act. And it wasn't the eating of the fruit that was bad, it was the disobedience, right? So, through that choice, all men stand condemned. So even apart from the law, the Ten Commandments, we still stand condemned. Like, I stand condemned. You stand condemned. Like, we've got a major problem. So, and, and through this trespass, like, all of mankind becomes the walking dead. Like, we are spiritually dead. Our body's alive, but dead on the inside. And we have this evil, like this darkness that now lives inside of us, and it has a name, and it's sin. And it is this sin that separates. It separates us from God and his righteousness. It separates us from God and his holiness. It separates us from God and his life. And it sets us on a course for eternal damnation. It sets us on a course for hell. And so, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, like, leaving this world as a non-believer. Like, I believe in Jesus. I'm not saying I, that I'm not. But when I think about, like, leaving this world, like, if I were a non-believer, like, you would think that, oh, my gosh, like, this punishment that I'm actually, like, headed towards is hell. And I can tell you that hell is not the punishment. Well, yeah, it's terrible. You don't want to go there. But it's not hell that's the punishment. Well, what is? It's that separation from God. It is that eternal separation, like never to be rectified. Like at that point, when a person that does not believe in the Son of God, when they leave, they are eternally separated from God. And that terrifies me. My voice is cracked. So, when I think about leaving this world as a non-believer, like, I don't think of hell as the punishment. It's the eternal separation. The eternal separation, not only from God, but from his loving kindness and from his life. And you do realize, like, this is not something that God wants, right? He does not want to send you there. He does not want to be eternally separated from you. But unfortunately, his hand was forced. Why? Because of the one trespass that we're talking about here. Because the, of the one act of disobedience. So, guys, ladies, like, this is something that we chose. And I can tell you, man, I'm getting ahead of myself, hold on. I think we can keep going. Okay, yeah. So, we have a major problem. We're destined to hell, not something that God chose for us, but something that we did. Thank God that he provides a remedy. Thank God that he provides his son. 
thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus and thank God for his mercy. But here's something to think about. Like, have you, have you ever thought about this? Surely you have. Why would God make Adam if he knew he was going to choose to eat of the fruit? If he knew that he would choose to disobey? I mean, have you ever thought about that? What, did you realize that God knew the choice that Adam was going to make? Did you realize that God knew that mankind would need a savior? Did you realize that Jesus, the only perfect, blameless, spotless, sinless son of God, is the only one that could save us? And did you realize that Jesus was destined to die in our place before the foundation of the earth? Before God made Adam and Eve, he knew that we would end up needing a savior, and so he had already set Jesus apart to go to the cross in our place. Did you know that? Revelation 13, 1 Peter 1, if you want a chapter reference. So Jesus goes to the cross and he's killed in our place. Not only did he endure the gruesome death, this is the part, like he endured separation from God. He endured separation from the Father. Why do you think his sweat became like drops of blood in the garden? He was terrified, not of the cross, but of the separation But think about this. For the first time in eternity past, for the first time, the harmony of the triune God, the fellowship of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was broken. So when Jesus was on that cross and sin was placed on him, God turned his back on him and the earth goes dark. Jesus did that for mankind. Jesus did that for you and for me. So verse 18 again. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So Adam and Jesus, they both bring something to the table. For all of mankind. Adam, he brings with him eternal death. Not a product of choice, but inheritance. You, like it was yours when you showed up. And then you have Jesus that brings with him eternal life. And this eternal life is not a product of inheritance, but it's a product of choice. So, the main point before we go into verse 19 is from grief to grace, make it rain. We're going to hit this verse kind of quickly and then we're going to move on because 20 we're going to be in for a minute. I'm sorry, but that's where just really like the most of the information comes from. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So, so there's, this, there's this word that pops up twice in this verse. And it's something that we really need to focus on today. Okay, so we already know about the trespass. We already know about the act of righteousness. But now we're moving along to the many. And unfortunately, this many is not referring to the same group of people. He is not saying, hey, like through the act of disobedience, like the many are inheriting death. Oh, but by the act of righteousness, that same many is now redeemed. It's not what he's saying. So we're going to talk about that 
the first many. Now, when we look at the many, like we know what the act of disobedience was and the result of it. But in 19, like Paul indicates just who was affected by Adam's choice. Well, the many were. And the many, unfortunately, includes all of mankind that descended from him, that descended from Adam. Like, if you are here today, unless you were um, conceived by immaculate conception, Adam is your granddaddy. Do, do we have any immaculate conception? No? Okay. Adam is our grandpa. And unfortunately, because of his choice, it has affected us, all of us. Adam, like through that choice, received a sinful nature. Since we are descendants of him, we are born with sin with a sinful nature. So the many in the first part of this verse refers to you, it refers to me, it refers to all of mankind. So the first many in this verse is all, all. So we transition to the second, many. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, steps out of heaven, spit again, and he lives a sinless life. He is the only person that did not have an earthly father. He was obedient going to the cross, thus making salvation available, available to mankind, available to the many. The second many is not everyone. It's a different group. While it is available, while it is offered to all, not all will accept. <clears throat> so, this begs the question, like, how? How do you become a part of this second many? Like, like how? Well, if you search the scriptures, it's actually all over the place. I've got a couple of references here. Romans 10, 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace through faith that you have been saved and it is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. So, men, believe. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart. That's faith. And through that faith, grace is given to you. Salvation is offered to all. I'm just going to read this, 2 Peter 3, 9. Because I'm thinking about the many, like Adam really messed it up for everyone. Jesus fixed it for everyone, but there's got to be a choice there. There has to, be, has to be belief there. There has to be faith. And so unfortunately, there, there are people in hell and there are people going to hell. And it's not that God is mean because he gives every man a choice. So 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all, but that would all would come to repentance. He is not going to force you to love him. He is not going to force you to choose him. 
He wants it to come naturally. He, he wants you of yourself to choose him, and he will save you. So, now that we know how it's acquired, at that point of salvation in a person's life, they become part of the second many. So, Romans 5, 18 and 19 together. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. From grief to grace, make it rain. Verse 20. This, the truth behind this verse, like the information that needs to be plugged into this verse is what changed my life and my perspective of God. This verse right here is what caused the Bible I was holding in my hand to change and to come alive. Because my perspective that I had drawn on my own of how God viewed me was shattered. And I began to see, like for the first time, how God looks at me, like how God sees me, and how God loves me. And so like through this, like I hope that it sparks something inside of all of you. So, verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There's two huge words here. There's law and there's grace. So, The last time that um, I preached to you, I had mentioned this thing, and it was about a foundation. It's a foundation of what all of your faith has got to be built upon. So this foundation is understanding just who you are in Christ and exactly what he did for you with his blood and the finished work of it. So once you understand, like, the finished work of his blood and what it did, you need to build on that foundation and this is what you need to understand. It's this law in grace. So Pastor Adam, a few messages ago, he spoke about the beginning when mankind had no law. From Adam to Moses, there was no Ten Commandments. So this law, like this Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, it is introduced in Moses' day. And, and what I want to do is I'm going to read these, like, real quickly. I'm not going to have them on the screen, so as not to have too much. But I'm going to read these really quick. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above the earth or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Three, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath 
to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, female servant, your livestock, sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, let me do it that way. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his servants, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So you have this Ten Commandments, which is a a summation of 600 condensed down into ten. And basically what it is, it is the law between God's relationship with man and man's relationship with man. These were given to define right and wrong according to God's righteous standard. But there's more to it. There's more to the why that it was given. It was given that sin would increase. Huh. You ever, like, who in here has kids? Show hands. You remember when they were little, you told them not to do something? Hey, don't touch that. Exactly. Do you not realize, like, that is this principle at work. When you tell somebody that does not have the the Holy Spirit to help them, when you tell somebody not to do something, oh, man, those wheels start turning. Why not? You know? Hmm. I have this weird mind, and I was going to go somewhere, but I'm not. If you know me, you know. <laughs> so, so the law was given so that sin would increase. And the law was given to inevitably, inevitably provoke two things. One, the closer that you try to get, the closer that you try to live by them, the further away you find yourself. Huh. Two, ultimately we see that there is no way that we can achieve its righteous standard. It's impossible. So, through all of that, through the giving of the law, God is showing us our need for a Savior. God is showing all of mankind our need for a Savior. (laughs) And this is what Paul was talking about in Galatians 3.23. See if you got that. If not, I'll read it. There we go. So, now, before faith came. Remember, faith is what saves you. Okay? So, before faith came, we were, past tense, held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, because of that, The law was our guardian. The law was our tutor. The law was our schoolmaster until Christ came in order that we might be justified by the law. No, justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. 
the law has done its job. And what is its job? To show you your need for a Savior. First time I heard this, I was like, <laughs> heresy. I, I, don't, I don't use that kind of word. Blasphemy, I don't use that one either. But the first time I heard what I'm getting ready to say, I thought the person was um, going to hell. The law is from God. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law will last forever. And here's the phrase, the law is flawed. Give me a minute. The law has this detrimental flaw, and it's this. It can never help you. It can never help me to do it right. The law has a purpose. The law is incapable in and of itself of making us right with God. Prove it, Johan. Because I'm about to walk out this door and never come back. Hold on a minute. Romans 8, 3 and 4. And we'll get to there sometime eventually. Please tell me how we got this up on there. We, have, we got this. Yeah, okay. For what, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So the law was flawed. There was something that the law, the Ten Commandments, could not do. What was that? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, God did through the son what the law could not do by itself. Okay, do you see that? So, this detrimental flaw, this unfortunate weakness can help you. And I'll tell you this, if you tie yourself to the Ten Commandments, if you tie yourself to trying to live them the best that you can, you will always, always, always fail. This is where Jesus steps in. This is where Jesus steps in. Again, the law is holy, the law is righteous, the law is just, and the law will last forever, but the law had a job. And so Jesus steps in, and he actually says something here. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to have slides for this either, but, but basically, like, Jesus shows up, and you have, a, you have a bunch of people that are trying to live their lives in a way that they can measure up to God, when Jesus knows that it's impossible. That's why he's here, Right? And so as he's teaching all of this, that, that he is only the way, not just according to the law, but so much more, it brings us to the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read this quickly. Matthew 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, uh, show of hands, who can say that all of their life has measured up to all of those principles that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? Show of hands. Not one. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but understand and give its light, and it gives its light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Key verse, hear me. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. And here it is. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. So the law is good. The law is righteous. The law is holy. But it's done its work in my life. Jesus Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Second key verse, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it. The law was given to break you. The law was given to show you your need for a savior. If you think you got it in it, like if you think you have it in you to do it by yourself, cool. There's the 10, add the Sermon on the Mount, and on top of that, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, because if it doesn't, you fail by yourself. Do you see it? Suffice to say, you are not capable. You do not have it in you to achieve, to earn, no matter how good you are. You do not have it in you to stand as righteous before a holy God. So the law that was given was given to expose your sin, to make you sin more, to show you your need for a Savior. It was given to kill you. And when you get to that place to where you see your sin, and then you get to that place to where you see your need for a Savior, and you place your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the one, grace, grace is given to you unearned, unmerited, undeserved grace. So, this, this righteous requirement of the law, Jesus didn't come to abolish but to fulfill. So that through your faith in him, 
His fulfillment of the law can be given to you. So when God looks at you, he looks at you as being just as righteous as his son is righteous. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So grace does not cover sin. It doesn't hide it. It removes it, never to be dealt with again. We don't live in sinless perfection, but when we fail, when we sin, and sin we will, there's grace. And not only does that grade increase, the evidence of the kindness of God increases as well. The penalty of sin will never, ever haunt you again. So when sin increases and it will, grace increases just the same. Sin still carries a price. It still carries a consequence. But in your person, like, like in your soul, in your spirit, you remain a holy being, Romans 8.1. So this grace, this grace, because of who you are, a descendant of Adam, you are born dead, you are born condemned, you are born destined for hell. It's harsh, but it was a choice. You know, like on the surface, like we can blame Adam, but if we're being real, like, Were we given the choice, we would have chosen the same thing. We would have chosen to eat the fruit. We would have chosen sin, and we would have chosen death. Whether it was Adam or if it was us, like we having a problem. We have an eternal problem. Through no work of our own, through nothing that resides in us, Jesus paid the ultimate price for us while we're his enemy. If we would only believe in him, if we would only place our faith in him, he will give us grace. And this is grace. Are you enjoying me saying this so much? This is grace, by the way. Um, So this is grace. The price of sin paid by Jesus. The requirement of the law fulfilled by Jesus. The ability to stand as righteous before the Father given by Jesus. The opportunity to be called a brother of Jesus achieved by Jesus. All of the goodness, the love, and the gifts are all given to us freely and willingly by Jesus. All of the punishment and the consequences of sin that we are due were placed on Jesus and unmerited favor and eternal life where the Father were given to us freely. Grace. Grace. So Romans 5, 18 through 20 altogether. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You gotta be careful with that verse. I don't want to get into Romans 6, but you need to read Romans 6, 1 and 2. And summarize, it basically says this, that grace is not a license to sin. You're not. Grace is not a license to sin. Um, I thought about getting into it, but I don't have time. So, again, the main point, from grief to grace, make it rain. Last verse. So we transition 
to this final verse in chapter 5. And Paul is driving home this truth about grace, the good news of the gospel. And again, there's another word that really draws our attention. There's this word that really earns our ear, and it's rain. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So whether you know it or not, you have something reigning in your life. (laughs) And unfortunately, it's a choice on either side of the cross in your life. You have something reigning in your life. On the one hand, you have sin leading to death, not just physical death, but eternal death. And on the other hand, you have grace leading to life, not just in the here and now, but eternal life. This is not just some new message. It's not even a new train of thought, did you know? Like, it dates back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 30:19. I love this verse. Uh, and I almost used this matrix reference, but I don't know how many of you would connect with that because, like, I'm old. Let's face it. Uh, red pill, blue pill. Not going to go there. That's it. But Deuteronomy 30, 19. So remember, you've got, you've got the opportunity. You can choose sin and death or you can choose grace. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. This is Moses writing this. That I have set before you life and I have set before you death, a blessing and a curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Man, choose life. Choose the red pill. Dang it, I did it. (laughs) We'll see how deep this rabbit hole goes. Hey. (laughs) Thank you for that. Like, you have no idea how much that means to me. So the choice is yours. Life and death. What will you choose to reign in your life? What will you choose? The Father is not going to force feed you. He loves you enough to let you choose. Listen, you can try to live it by yourself. You could choose to not even care. But I can tell you, like, a price is going to be paid. Whether by you in the future or by my son that's already paid it. Like, It is a free gift. Choose. So read these verses one last time. All together. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, one act of righteousness leads to to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. From grief to grace, make it rain. Cody actually sent me this. Uh, I'm going to give him credit. But it, it, it really helped just really just bring it all together here at the close. But I'm, I'm going to read you what he wrote. It says, Adam and Christ are not merely two historical figures. They are also two representative figures. Adam is the head of a race of sinners, all of us. Christ is the head of the new race of redeemed people, all those who trust in him. In some ways, Romans 5 is an explanation of 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For just as in Adam all die, so also Christ, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So what is the overarching application of all of this? Everyone is either in Adam or in Christ. There's only two options. It says, note the repetition of the word one throughout these verses. It's used 12 times. Paul is emphasizing our identification with Adam or with Christ. In Christ, sons of Adam can be redeemed, restored, renewed, and they will only one day, and they will one day gain the paradise God destined them to dwell in for all eternity. That was great, Cody. If you ever see this, thank you. But I mentioned this earlier. Like the law has a purpose. To lead you to saving faith in Jesus. It was given to break you. It was given to show you that there is nothing in you that is worthy of Jesus. There's nothing in you that is worthy of justification. However, God is full of loving kindness. And while we were his enemies, Christ died for us in order that the righteousness, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Not in you because it's impossible, but in Jesus. So that justification, not something that you work for, not something that you can achieve, but justification just as if you've never sinned or ever will again by the act of the one. Justification by faith. Faith in the one, faith in Jesus. You are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus alone. So I've got to ask again, where's your faith? Like, like is it real? I mean, are you sure that you're sure that your faith that you have is real? Or are you just playing church? Like, don't just be real with me. Like, bro, be real with yourself. Like, is that faith that you have real? I thought about this a long time ago. You, me, all of us, through the choices that we make in life, we're playing Russian roulette. Not just with our physical life, but with our eternity. Man, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. I'm sorry, like this life on this earth is short. 
I mean, do you really want to play that game? So, do you joyfully concur with God's righteousness and His teaching? Or have you never fully submitted to faith in Jesus? There's no other way. So, let me ask you a question. Like, Why do you think that everybody does what they do here on Sunday mornings? I can tell you it's not for the money. The reason we do what we do here is because of the love that we have of the Savior. With the love that we have for Him and what He has done for us. That is why we do what we do. And we do this in order so that others might see it as well. That's what we do. So, man, if you're not, if you're just playing church, playing church, dude, it isn't worth it. But you are. Like, if you don't know that you know that you have that faith, that your faith is going to save you, make sure you take care of it this morning. I don't care if you talk to me, you talk to somebody else, but like, deal with that this morning. Because time is short. Now go ahead and bow your heads, if you would, please. When I'm talking to believers, myself included again, are you really expecting God's blessing, His promises, and all that to come with it? And still choosing to live in sin? Am I? Man, that's a huge question to ask. And I know, it's like, man, it's okay if I choose to do this or to do that. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you it does. Man, choose to walk the straight and narrow. Believer. And for those of you that can't say without a shadow of a doubt that you believe, like, change that today. Like, the one, the righteous act of the one, Jesus going to the cross, that was for you. So that that relationship that God had initially made with Adam can be restored. And you can have that kind of relationship. Like, he took all of the punishment, he did all of the work, and wants to give it you but you've got to accept it you've got to accept it so let's pray if eternal work needs to be done find somebody this morning in Jesus name Father thank you thank you for the truth of your word thank you for its changing power Thank you for the people here this morning. Thank you. God, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.